Hello and welcome back to HIF Player, the podcast from Harrogate International Festivals. You are joining with audiences from across the globe to enjoy HIF Player, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. We're thrilled to bring you Linda LaPlante, interviewed live by Programming Chair Denise Nina at the 2022 Theakston Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. Sit back, relax and enjoy an insightful and entertaining discussion with a crime writing legend. Linda, thank you so much for coming to Harrogate. It's so lovely to see. Is that working for you? Yes, I couldn't see it for a minute. I didn't realise it was here. <laughs> so Linda and I have a dance routine prepared for later, and so that's why we're wearing these roving mics. Um, Linda, it's such a privilege to um, welcome you here. We did several Zoom things during lockdown, and, uh, and I could have listened to you for hours. And we're actually on with some other people not particularly interesting people. I'm including myself in that, to be honest with you. And, uh, and I just uh, I came away very starry-eyed after listening to you. But you're actually here because you have two books out this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you tell us about them, Buried and Banished? Could you tell us about Buried first of all? Because that's... Buried is introducing a new detective, uh, Jack Wall. And this is very odd because this seat feels very low. <laughs> I feel as if I'm slowly sinking down. Well, it's a new book I've just written. It's coming out. Bring in a new character. I didn't want a detective that was in pain, you know, drunk, alcoholic, awful wife. I really wanted to introduce a, a character that you liked. He's got faults, a lot of faults, but you like him. And then you thread through a background link that is quite shocking. And you go, well, where did that come from? And I'm at an event book signing. And somebody stood up and said, what happened to Harry Rawlings from Widow's Baby? And I had no idea. And I thought, you know, what did happen to him? Where is he? And then the awful thing is how old you are, because you think, oh my God, that was 30 years ago. But he'd be in his 30s. And so that's when I got another side to Jack Wall. That's where he's come from. He doesn't know. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed inching back to resurrect some of the women from Widows. Um, Some of it very funny. But that's where Buried came from, you know. And I have to keep on saying, it's a very weird feeling in this chair. (laughs) Cheers! Swap chairs with me and sit on the edge. Swap but chairs is yours you. tougher? Yeah. I don't know. Has Harry got a cushion out there? <laughs> <laughs> swap swap with me. This is I not just... the dance routine, by the way. You what? There's a cushion. I said, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> An old bed. Well, well, I was trying to sit there and sit on the edge. See what happens there. All right. Now. It's not that I have 
short legs. <laughs> that's what that's. Do you find that a bit low? Let me see. Is that what you've got all your guests? <laughs> I yeah, that is quite low, to be honest with you. It is a little bit low. Yeah, I think somebody, somebody's sturdier than yourself, perhaps. <laughs> but go back to Jack Moore. He, he is a fantastic character, and he, he, so he's a cop now. This is, this is, I hope, I hope we're not giving too much away, but I don't think so. Now he's a detective, not a very good one. Always got his phone in his hand, he's always late. He has a great wife, a great home life. I just enjoy him, and I want readers to enjoy him, and at the same time go on the journeys he goes on, because you sometimes have to worry a bit about him. Is he going to flip over? Because he is, and has, Harry Rawlings inside him somewhere. Yeah. At a later date, <laughs> you never know what might come up. But it's everything you do as a writer, I think, is taking a journey somewhere. And in the uh, new book that's out, Vanished, and I'm constantly asked, you know, where do you get your ideas from? What? And like I just said in Buried, um, somebody in the audience, where did Harry Rawlings' child, and for those who didn't know who Harry Rawlings was, he was the character that was married to a woman in my series, Widows, and he was a high-powered criminal. So it vanished, you know, before I start the slog, and I do the research, work, research, where I'm going to set something, find the characters, Anyway, um, I was asked by someone I knew reasonably well. Um, he was a headmaster, quite posh. And he ran a school not far from me in Kingston, where I live. And he invited me to um, an event at a house literally in, within walking distance of my house. And I said, oh, I've, I've never been there. Oh, he said, it's quite a substantial property. Substantial? <laughs> My, I love they have a little amphitheater. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, nine acres? This huge two In Kingston. In Kingston. And to get there. And that's not Kingston, Jamaica, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah Richmond. <laughs> and that's not that other Richmond. But the reality was when you go to a place that is so close to you, you've never seen it before, high walls, these gates, studded gates, and you get in there. I didn't know anybody. And the man that was giving the party was very eccentric in a toga, which I thought was a bit I remembered that house. And so in Vanished, the house becomes a central character. Um, and the woman who's living at the house, I actually think has a lot of me in her. She's fabulous. Tell us about her. She's fabulous. She's what just great eccentric. eccentric. She's a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> She, she, she's lying all the time about everything. Um, it's, but she's... Again, I like to 
introduce you to a character that if you are interested and enjoy the character, you want to go on the journey. And with her, it's a horrific journey because she is up to dreadful things. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult often to say why you might enjoy Vanished, <laughs> but it's character-driven. Um, this and with Jack again, Jack Wall coming in. How um, do you do that, Linda? When you're because you've got such an amazing cast of characters going back so many years, how do you do? You have to go back and read the books because you can't possibly. I mean, you've written about forty-eight novels. You cannot possibly remember what happened. Do you have a chart? Do you have index cards? How do you? No. Do you just draw? Do you just remember? Do you remember? I mean, some people do remember. Most of them, because somewhere um, in my mind, you, you, I don't know how you work as a writer, because I've been reading. Very good. <laughs> Very competitive. <laughs> but you know, when you read, when you're writing, you do the research. You find about the forensic, the bodies, and you do all that. The logistics of the police, you get all that organized, and you go, right, I'm on the right track. Sometimes, you know, I'd be working and plotting out, and a police advisor will say, oh, no, you can't do that. I go, what? No, 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 no. If anybody's doing anything illegal at any police station, Met Office, and they open up Holmes' database for information, their name will come up. You've got to... another one. Does everybody know what Holmes is? Yeah. They, they. They're all right. Anyway. <laughs> what you do is, or I do, is you then build your character, or I find a character. And in a... The character who talks, their voices. You have to create a name that is easy to run. If you've written a name that is a little bit of a hiccup, you're going to be mentioning this name 500 times. Like what? Like, have you ever written a name and thought, God, I wish oh, I yes, like, a, a lot of very problematic names. It's like, who's the um, MP standing for Prime Minister with the glasses at the end of the line? Tom, I couldn't remember his surname. And I don't think it's a very difficult name to keep saying. And um, that's why I was knocked out. (laughs) Probably if he had an easy name, he'd still be in. And he's like, well, names, there's trust. I mean, trust. Jack didn't mean to get onto this, but you know, Rishi, he's like a ferret. <laughs> he's got very close set eyes, and, he's in, and one is slightly inwards. <laughs> See, characters, when you're building characters in a novel, sometimes you latch on to somebody that you view. And in uh, a novel called Unholy Murder, uh, I remembered an actress. And she's, she was called Margaret Corley. 
Hello, darling. Anything for me? And she always had this jangling bracelet. I'll do anything, a few lines here or there. And she had very big teeth. And I remember that character in She Comes into Unholy Murders is a character called um, uh, in, in Australia. And there she's got the bracelet. So I can see every one of them that I write. Uh, and when I can't see them, I have to go back and paint them a bit stronger. But you're a very visual writer. I'm always very aware of the fact that yeah. you come from a theatre background, very serious theatre background. Do you think that that sort of encyclopedic knowledge of your cast is to do with your theatre background? Memorising scripts, remembering, yeah. you know, blocking the stage, all that kind of thing, because that, that requires incredible... I mean, you have to train your memory incredibly. Yes, I think it's very important because, as I said, the rhythm of lines when you're writing them. And as I say, I'm hold up. And sometimes I wonder if anybody was to come in and watch, they'd put me in a straitjacket. Tell us what that looks like. What does it look well, like when you're writing? She walks to the door, she cries. She's just lost her son. And Oh my God! Are you acting it out as you write? Act everything out. Laugh, cry, um, angry. Uh, they are the most difficult ones when you do. See, I don't spend a lot of time on the perpetrators. I spend a lot of time on catching them and the interrogations and the pain. You know, I work with a lot of victims of crime and they never get any compensation. And at the end, you, know, you see, why do you write an, a crime book? Why do people want to buy a crime book? Well, the reality is, for a while, you're transported and you go, I think I never did this. <laughs> Turning the pages, she's got me, I don't know who did it. And at the end of it, it's complete, it's over, it's finished, the end. And there is something quite comforting about it being the end. Reality is there is no closure, ever. It never ends. And so that's the difference when, you know, working with the real victims, I constantly find lacking um, the assistance that they need. They do have... Um, liaison officers that, God forbid, if either your son or daughter go missing um, and a hunt is on, they'll supply liaison officers who will sit with you and then you have that same officer coming in with a very different attitude because she's coming in to say there's no hope, we found her. But that liaison officer can only be with that person for a certain amount of time because there's another family. And you lose that thing. So that has to be looked at and financed for help for people that are in the brunt of crime. Because you've spoken very movingly about the, the, the help and support that Myra Hindley got compared to yeah. the families who yeah. lost children and that. She got a degree, guitar lessons. She was in therapy. Um, having a relationship with another officer in the prison and yet still 
the mother of one of her victims was still searching the morgue for her dead child. Does it seem right? Unsupported. Yeah, unsupported. Yeah. And that's what I feel, you know, it's, it's missing um, so much so. And the generosity I found from so many people that have agreed to talk to me is very, very moving. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think crime fiction can in some way aid with that by centering the victims as the centre of the story and telling their story? Because I think often people are victims are not necessarily looking for money or guitar lessons. What they're actually looking for is to be heard. I think a lot of people don't feel heard. And I often feel in your writing that that is who you're centering. Yeah. I do. But at the same time, you know, one does, you know, it's hard to compare the two. You do want to entertain. And you do want to say, somebody come to you and say, look, I can't put this down. I really love this book um, and this character. Um, but I think if you just I sneak it in, you know, coming in little slide sides, and it, it is making um, impact. I'm one of the reasons I love you so much. You don't know this, maybe a little bit scary, given that um, vanished is about stalking. <laughs> um, is I think you are one of those quiet radicals who have fundamentally changed almost everything. And one of the things that I really, I, I saw you on the red carpet at the Steve McQueen Widows premiere, and you made a point of talking about the woman producer who gave you the chance to write Widows. Could you tell us a bit about that? Because I think, yeah. I, I just thought, what, a, what an amazing thing to foreground at that moment in your career when you could be bumming on about how great you were, and actually you said, well... Uh, was a producer. It's again, you know, one of the things that I try and uh, help with a lot of new writers is the treatment, how you write a treatment, um, and to be sure you send that treatment into the right person. And I sent Widows to Verity Lambert, who ran Houston Films. And for some reason I put my married name, Linda Laplante, not my acting name. I'd done Minder, I'd done so many, I'd played a prostitute in every single crime show. Because, <laughs> you know, casting, comes from Liverpool, short, red hair, prostitute. <laughs> and, you know, when Melvin Bragg pieced all my acting on TV together, it was astonishing. I fell out of every alley. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you couldn't actually say this about being at the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> Because when you go up for work, I'm digressing anyway, but when you go up for a job... Digress away to your heart's content. You digress, you know, because you're facing a sea of people at the table. They're going to say, what have you been doing? And I sussed out that, you know, they never went to the theatre. So I'd say, well, I've just been doing Dursley Moon at the National. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right, well, we haven't seen that. You know, and I'm up to play a prostitute with five legs. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I go in for this appointment at Houston Films to meet Verity Lambert, who I've met, you know, in mind, I'd done everything. And um, when I walked in, she went, See you. <laughs> oh, but you've never written anything. I said, yeah. I said, she said, um, we all thought it was a transvestite trucker. 
So she said, look, you haven't written anything. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance. Write the first episode. If it's any good, we'll commission six. Whoa. I mean, that, that, imagine that. Couldn't happen today. No, couldn't happen today. No, you've got 18 people there. Oh, I don't know. Do you like it? <laughs> it's true. It's true. You have no idea what you're up against now. I mean, I don't know where they pluck these people from. But anyway, I didn't actually know what the word commission meant. <laughs> and I thought, I've got home and I thought, well, I've got commission. And I thought, I've got to write it, I think. Yeah. So I had no idea. I'd written this two pages of these four armed robbers get blown up, leave widows, they pull the robbery. You know, that was it. I saw the well, I'm going to have to find a few criminals, really. <laughs> now, the oddest thing is in most film units, there's usually connected to the prop department, is a bit of a villain. <laughs> Always a prop department says, would you like that lamp? I can get you one. <laughs> So I went off to this film and I said, Mickey, I need a bit of help. Do you think you could find me sort of a bit of a villain? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> That's quite a heavy one. What, killer? Went to them, and one of there was 
very young but brilliant woman. Then there was Linda Akron, very loud. Hello, darling, oh, come in. It's wonderful. <laughs> then there was the director and then the secretary. And they're all there at the table. And I said, I'm going to bring in the guy that did the robbery. You really want to meet him? Director went, oh, oh, oh. Everybody, oh. The loud mouth. Oh, darling, this is incredible. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. So I go, all right, I'll go again. In he comes. He's got longish curly hair and he's got a fair collar on his coat, leather coat. And he has had extensive face work, which we won't go into. But what, what why had he had that? Had he been bashed up or was he disguised? He was disguised for him. And uh, not for me, for people that were after him. And so he sits there, and they sit there, and they don't say anything. They're like, <laughs> and this silence goes on. So eventually I said, So, um, do you want Terry to talk you through the, the robbery? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes like this. You could feel all the chairs going Because <laughs> they thought he was bringing out a gun. But he brought out a row of dinky toys. Oh, wow. And he said, there's your lead truck, second truck. This is your favorite. This is it. He just showed exactly how the lineup of cars and trucks. Then he put them back in his pocket. And he left. <laughs> <laughs> but Verity Lambert was my, I mean, what a person to work for. And to take a chance on an unknown writer like that, even, I mean, at that, in those days, because budgets were much bigger then and there was a lot less telly, so, uh, you know, but they were very surprised by how incredibly successful this was. Right? All unknowns, you wouldn't get it done. <laughs> yeah. You know, they'd want David Tennant to play Donny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is very good. <laughs> And then you even have credits on TV today that say nine years in EastEnders. Do you care? <laughs> Before they do a play detective, I just I'm so tired because I even find it kind of strange that there are people employed to do the diary in all the magazines about what's going on in the soaps. I just biggest belief to me that. Um, all that time and effort and then soaps you know they're giving warnings about an early morning soap drama about brutality violence possible shocking and you go it's a soap <laughs> so that means that level of TV you're going to have to up it for your nine o'clock um I, I mean, that sells it to me. Sometimes I turn off if it doesn't say foul language. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about violence and sex yes. and it's some drug use. <laughs> foul language, drug use, I will not Right, but look, Dark Rooms. Can we talk about Dark Rooms? Which is the new Jane Tennyson book. Um, how did you come up with the idea for that? How does it feel to go back to Jane Tennyson? I love it. Do you? Because um, the, from the original prime suspect with Dame Helen Mirren, she was very formed as a woman. So to go back into her life as young, 
it's very exciting because you say, how did she get to that point? How did she get to be that strong? And so all the books, the build-up, slowly towards her becoming, you know, the main character in Prime Suspect, have been a joy to do. And in, you know, I sometimes think that my brain is like uh, an advent calendar. You know, little flaps open. <laughs> I think, oh, I remember that. <laughs> and years and years ago, I remembered watching a documentary on an invest police investigation. And this detective was standing with two slabs of concrete. And he was incredibly moved because he said, this is where we found the child between these bricks. And he was emotional. He's, the weight of the bricks in his hands. And I just, there's a little flap in there. So you, you, cause you get a lot of things from newspapers, don't you? And it's like, like one-line stories that you hear yeah. and sort of absorb them. And then, you know, I just saw this derelict house. And there's something strange when you see a house being demolished and the wallpaper and the fireplace is still standing there. The life that was there. And so I read and saw that, and I remembered that baby in that two bricks. And then another thing came about an air raid shelter discovered in a, a demolition site that somehow had a bizarre tunnel from where the big house had been underground. And those, like, they were like obstacles that I began to use for that, and um, I loved, you know, the characters in it. Here she comes, you know, that one, hello darling. <laughs> She's in there. Um, and it's, it's a great story, because I also love it, because Jane Tennyson goes to Australia. <laughs> and it's a nightmare. <laughs> when you've given her a couple of hours there and they forget she's got two days to get there two days to get back <laughs> and they put her in a hotel in the red light district <laughs> in Sydney yeah. so how did you do research for a period piece like that for something that's set in the past do you do a lot of research for that? Yeah. textual research? how do you do I that? Do. I do I, I really do encourage people to go to source you know I went to numerous uh, care homes mm -hmm. and numerous very wealthy. Because this is a very fancy care, care home. home. Yeah. yeah. Very wealthy care homes, yeah. and you see the difference. Yeah. Um, and you just pick up. You pick up. You become like. Well, I don't. I'm, I'm sure you do as well. But you pick up those new entities. Mm -hmm. It is hoovered every day. You clearly haven't been to care homes that are not hoovered every day. Exactly. Me, you go to one, another one, and it's, you know, hoover, we haven't got one. Yeah, yeah. makes a difference. So, it's a difference. so build, and building, 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 and then uh, the characters in it. And there she comes with that swinging bracelet. I can see her and I can hear everything she said. And she is such a character. Um, She's I, brilliant. I just love her. And I mean, everybody at some point in it here has seen somebody with one of those bracelets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I think Jane Tennyson is the first character I ever saw on television who had an abortion. 
Yes. I think she was the first TV character, and it was just something that happened to her. It was a decision she made, and I think to have things like that foreground, actual people's experiences, because you clearly listen to people, yeah. and you clearly have a lot of girlfriends, that you are clearly part of a coterie of people at that time. And it was the first time I think I really saw that represented. I thought that was really amazing, because it was very unspoken at the time. I mean, now people do talk about it, but at that time it was very unspoken. And it was a big yeah. risk to take with the central character. Yeah, I didn't really approve. Did you not? No, because um, it, it was. I mean, it was. I didn't approve of her being made into an alcoholic either. Right. So. Because I think Jane Tennyson, my Jane Tennyson, because there comes a point where you've got all these people telling you what to write, and so at that point you just say, "Oh, I'm gone." Because you, you can't, you know, they're, they're so busy faffing about. And I, I didn't want to make her an alcoholic because that woman would have made commander. Right. And she would have made the same mistakes as, <laughs> you know, dicks did. Yeah. She would have been there. Yeah. Um, and that's why I wanted her to go so high. I didn't want her to come out as an alcoholic. That was introduced when I when said... I don't want to write it because it's very difficult when you've got a team of people saying, oh, right, two, two hours. No, we want six hours. No, we want four hours. When you are drawn by so many people, input, whereas, you know, I think you die at who they originally wanted to play Jane Tennyson, you know, in the fight to get an actress. And again, up comes that thing. Oh, well, we don't know. Is she done any TV? No. She's a great actress. She's been in the Royal Shakespeare. Was that her first TV role? Huh? She was in movies before then. But yeah. Was that her first couple TV of role? movies? Yeah. Right. But she was mostly in Royal Shakespeare. Yeah. And you know, she's got that great weight to her, Helen. Yeah. I mean, she's a super, super actress. And over and over again, you are dominated nowadays by committee decisions. It's all committee, isn't it? It's all by committee. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. So. You, so you would have had a different character arc for Tennyson. Yeah, because in the young Tennyson coming out, you'll see why. Hi. Why? Hi. What happens to her? Why? why what? Why? Why She's the so emotion would not have been. Okay, right. Right. And um, did you feel that there was, because it, it, it was the biggest show in Britain, and it wasn't it at that time. I think it had the biggest viewing numbers. Yeah. yeah. And so when something becomes a big property like that, what's it like to feel that you lose your central character to a production company? It's very difficult to actually let go. Um, but if you take, which I kind of make very strong encouragement, is that if you have the fight in you, and you will not accept, and you move on, it takes a lot of bottle to say, I'm out. You know, that's a lot of money, your security, but I'm out. And from that, I formed my own production company. And so I then was able to control the dramas that I wrote. And it's very interesting, it's like when uh, I went to split screens with trial and retribution and um, in those days we had one person that was the commissioner at ITV, Nick Elliott and he was quite eccentric 
But I went into it with the idea of doing a split screen cop show. And um, where did you get that idea from? Forensic department, watching a guy in the forensic take two and a half hours unwinding one single hair from a buttonhole and a button, and he was teasing it out. It was a long, long hair, this wound round in, in the fabric. It took him two and a half hours, but it had a bone. Yeah. And he said, we're going to get DNA from there. And I thought, that is fascinating. But, you know, could you actually put that on the screen for two and a half people? <laughs> so the, what if I put that up in the corner? So the more I worked, that was the start. And so then when I decided, and I went to New Kenya, and I said, uh, look, and then split screen, you went, no, no, no. He said, you have to realise there are some people in tower blocks that only have a small TV screen. He said, you can't split that into two or four. I said, have you ever been to a bingo, man? He said, no. I said, you will see people that own a small screen handling ten cards of bingo. Bing, 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 bing. And he went, you're right. That's over. Nowadays, they go to a bingo Nowadays, they would literally make you test it, run it, and you uh, bang. You it was so radical, that concept was so radical, as, and as a brilliant way. I thought that was very novelistic to have cuts to different scenes. It was like James Patterson's doing that on the page now, always going to different scenes yes. to build up tension in the current. So you can have quite a languorous scene with that tension building in cut, can't you? And you've been ripped off endlessly. Yeah. In that. Yeah. Oh, you do get ripped off on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you not bitter? <laughs> I know you're incredibly uh, successful. Do. <laughs> I, do you know, yes, day I was giving uh, a speech to all the students coming out from university. And I was trying to think, what could I say that would be encouraging to people to do what they want to do? Because we don't all have the light on. You know, we don't all get that from very early on, I'm going to be a vet, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a nurse, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. Not all of us. There's a mass of people that I don't know. Don't know what I know. Nothing kind of gets the light turned on. And I was at RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. <laughs> no idea what I was doing there, really. But you learn Shakespeare, you go through Ibsen, Chekhov, Strindberg, you do everything. You're doing fencing. But everything at the Royal Academy depends on the end of term, because up go the cast lists. And when they're up there, you then have the opportunity to get an agent. Without an agent as an actor, even without an agent as a writer, you're in Stuck. So the cast lists go up, and you can hear Romeo and Juliet. No, no. The cradle song. <laughs> Sister Teresa, aged 82. <laughs> the next one. Cecily Banks, suffering from dementia. <laughs> this is your big break. So I went to the principal 
I noticed his daughter was cast very highly. <laughs> oh, you are better. <laughs> I found it. Yes. I said, well, can I understudy your daughter? And he said, I'm going to be very honest with you, Linda. You're quite short. You're not really very attractive. You probably won't get into top-level acting roles until you're in your 40s. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know when the seed went in, and I don't know when the plan went in, because I couldn't tell anybody, I couldn't get any information that what I was going to do, I just was plotting it quietly. <laughs> and the three lines I had in Act One was the mother superior turned and I was at the back. And she said, the doorbell rang, Sister Teresa, would you answer the door? She had three lines. I do hope the doctor is able to visit him because poor Sister Agnes really does and that's it. I had to be back to say the doctor. <laughs> so she goes, Sister Teresa, would you answer the door? Do Questions and everyone's kind of well, and uh, but they just 
both their hands. Look, I haven't even asked yet. <laughs> um, we've got roving mics at the back, and I've got brownie points with this lady because she didn't even have to hold up her sign. But there's a gentleman here, a pushy fella, <laughs> and he's already got a question for Linda. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Before you go into your dance routine, I'd like to ask about your police procedural advisor. I believe you have a particular high-ranking police officer who advises you on procedural matters. And I wonder if you, what's the best piece of advice he's ever given you? And have you ever overruled him? Did you all hear that? Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. I do not overrule anything any police officer has ever said. Um, that's called taking dramatic license, and I don't do it. Because of being given the time by police officers, and they're checking every line that I've written. So I use one detective called Cameron Sutherland, and Cass has been with me for 10, 15 years. But I have various different officers because what happens is when I need to know a factual piece of information, my team will then go and find the officer and then bring them to me and then I talk. Then I give them the pages. And I work that way because for prime suspect, I had DCI Jackie Moulton. Um, and she was literally on my back throughout the whole of writing of prime suspect. <laughs> So I was very used to sitting in incident rooms, very used to being left inside forensic departments, autopsies, that was a killer. <laughs> you know, because again, the actress, have you been to an autopsy? Oh yes, a liar. <laughs> oh, got out like a light. <laughs> but, you know, that taught me, you know, going into the autopsies, seeing that, going into the chapels to see people identifying the dead. And it's, I go to source and respect source. You know, if you don't respect the people that give you time, then I'm appalled when writers go, well, I'm just not going to write. Didn't you once say that the truth is much more interesting than fiction? Yeah, it is. Because always. it's limited. Yeah. And, and there are always parameters that you don't know about until you actually yeah. ask a professional. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's the little tricky thing. You also always get another added piece that you don't expect. So in a, in a fire, in uh, buried, I had a, a firefighter, expert firefighter, who had found charred bodies. And he was very stiff, very formal, exactly how the filming had to be and how it had to be written, etc. But then after we kind of finished going through all the dialogue and the script and stuff, he then relaxed and he said, I'll tell you something funny on one of my first fires. I went with the charred remains back to the laboratory and uh, the pathologist said, where's his right foot? And I dropped it. <laughs> Bingo. In it goes. <laughs> you always get that little bit extra. But, um, no. I honour every single person that helps me. And it is helping, too. Didn't you get made um, honorary fellow of the Royal Society for Ethics Science? Yeah. Because your stuff's so accurate. Yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic. Yeah. Science. 
and, and to keep abreast. You know, if you're a crime writer, you have to keep abreast of what is happening. My God, is it moving fast. But, you know, in Prime Suspect, for example, it was the first time anybody had ever mentioned DNA. You know, now look. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. Everything. Any other questions? Hi, Linda. Um, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be Dolly Rollins. I absolutely <laughs> loved her, and I always have. Um, the Steve McQueen film, how did you feel about him changing her name to Ronnie? <laughs> I was furious. Very good. Very There's only one Dolly Rollins. Yeah. It's very difficult to, you know, to be truthful. You have well, to she signed an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. <laughs> Steve McQueen is getting to be... Whatever. Ooh. All right. <laughs> How involved were you in that? Well, he showed me the script, and I just couldn't believe it. Um, in a good way or a bad way? Bad way. <laughs> But you can't say anything. You've got to say it's the most wonderful thing you've ever read. <laughs> um, the good thing about Stephen Queen's Widows movie was it allowed all my wonderful novels of the Widows original to come out and be sold again. Yeah. And they went worldwide. Yeah. So that's where I was paid, not by the movie. And um, you know, and he said to me one I said, you've got to put humour. There's no humour in the film. He goes, why? Listen, if you want people to like the characters, you need a little bit of humour. And I said, he said, well, give me an example. He's, he's quite frightening. It's fierce, isn't it? And I said, well, you know, you have the women that have never done any shooting, and you've given her a Glock, she goes into the shooting arcade, and she goes bang, 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 bullseye. I said, rubbish. I said, why doesn't she go bang, 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 bang? Up comes the thing and she's missed. <laughs> then you like her. It's little things that and he was so he was so un difficult to break through anything. Um, and you know, the soul of widows and why it was so successful. You loved those yeah. women. Yeah. You loved Dolly for all her faults. Some of it was very, very funny, where she said, I'll show you how to handle this gun. Right? Oh! She's got a finger stuck in it. <laughs> and he said, all their bits and pieces, but the underbelly was grief. She wouldn't let him go. From grief, it tilted into terrible revenge of the betrayal. And so those elements of what in life I find the most fascinating. And betrayal uh, is something that sits inside people for a very long time. Pain. Um, and that was at the root of Williams. You seem to have decided that you can either spend your whole life fighting with people, yeah. or you can just do your own thing. Well, you still fight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is like a, you know, you could have, put, you could have had a massive set to about that, but you seem to have said, well... I'm going to walk away from fighting, but on the upside. I mean, the lovely thing about novels for me is you have so much autonomy. Is that something that you feel when you, you don't have to listen yes, to Yes, it's yours. Yeah. You love it. Yeah. I think that you either, you know, you, 
I am a grown friend. So I've had to learn how to control it, to control the anger. Because it's very, very difficult when you are confronted by people that they ain't, you get very little respect, no respect at all, really. Um, <laughs> when you go into meetings in America to pitch, you wouldn't believe it. You know, you've got a twelve-year-old in pigtails. So, you know, <laughs> you should bring us with you. You'll stand behind you in your respect army. But it is a respect. You know, it's like I respect the people that give me time. I respect the, even, you know, some of the villains that I have to go and uh, to talk to in the prisons. Um, and, and if you respect. People give you time and they give you some of their heart sometimes. You respect it and treasure it. You don't malign it. Yeah. And you don't abuse it. And you also, I say to somebody, you read that, if it upsets you, I'll take it out. You know. But is that kind of empathy about being older? Because I don't know if I was that respectful of everybody when I was young. And they are quite young, but I think as you get older, you see everybody's got stuff going on, everyone's cool, you never know what anyone's dealing with in the day, you have to make space for people, which is something that you do, but I don't know if I did that when I was younger. You know? Well, I'm very, very old. I also am very, 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 very old. old. And I forget. I forget just how old I am. Do you know, I was, the other day, talking about when I was uh, unemployed, I, thought, I used to do stand-up comedy. Did you? Yeah, with Hilda Baker. Oh. Oh. Mrs. Shufflewick. Yeah. With that bit of fur around her neck, she, she said, this is the only bit of untouched pussy and Harrogate. Sure, I I did every comic where I watched him like a hawk. Who's your favourite character to write? Who do you rub your little hands together and when you sit down to start writing about? Please say Dolly. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, Dolly was always lovely to write. Uh, least favourite? I don't know. Because, uh, I mean, obviously, it would be least favourite would be your perpetrator because you find them disgusting, repellent animals. Um, I'm coming up with a goodie called Evil Souls, so wait till you see that somebody that is... Is that the worst? The worst character I've ever written, yeah. What's the name, or have you decided yet? No, I'm not telling you. Chicken hat. Chicken hat. <laughs> 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 What's yours? Well, actually, 
when I write baddies, I always try to understand them. So I wrote a book called Long Drop about, it was a true crime book about yes. a, a guy who uh, committed a series of murders in, the, in Glasgow in the 60s, and I couldn't, in the 50s, and I couldn't connect with them in any way, because I always try and think, what does that feel like? So the, the person who did the murders was called Peter Manuel, and I could not get a hold of them. So I just thought, what I actually thought was, I wanted to write a serial killer book that didn't really have anything to do. It was about the people around the serial killer and why we need, we need serial killers. Because I think serial killers are really about a failure of policing. If they caught them the first time, there wouldn't be any serial killers. So um, I wanted to write about... And then I realised that he'd been in Borstal with uh, Brendan Beaton, who wrote very movingly about that Borstal. There was a lot of crimes of sexual violence against the boys in that Borstal. And... Uh, he has gone in as a petty thief, having attacked a Catholic church. Now, if you come from a Catholic background, that's a big, big thing. He robbed a church of the collection plate. And uh, that's, a, that's a story that we can talk about now, about sexual abuse of children. He'd been an altar boy, um, but many of that generation didn't even have words for it. So it's a wee bit sympathetic, but he was a petty thief. He went into this borstal and he came out as a rapist and murderer. And it was when I realised that that I actually felt a bit of empathy for him because before that he was a bit of a cardboard baddie, do you know what I mean? So he was my favourite and also my least favourite because you don't really want to feel empathy for somebody like that. And the, the last, he broke into a house and killed a family and the last time he did it he'd just taken his mum to midnight mass. And I wonder, I really wonder if that triggered something in him, you know? But I think if you spend enough time with any character you do feel a certain amount of sympathy with them. You know, but that was very kind of um, incredibly engaging. Yeah. Mm. I think we've got time for a little cheeky, have we? Yeah, go on, a little cheeky one. Any little cheeky ones? There's a little cheeky one. I know you're cheeky. I know. you. <laughs> we've got one at the back, Mark. Have we Mine got that? Mine's very quick and cheeky. Go on. Because I come from Kingston. And I'm going to go and find that house. Oh. <laughs> you, if you read the book, so you can't you. find it. No, find you can't it, find yeah. it because it's very well hidden, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit. I know it. I know it. <laughs> that was cheeky. You didn't even ask a question. <laughs> right there, look. I'll, I'll recognise you. <laughs> Keep your hair that colour and she'll phone the police because she's friends with her. <laughs> Was big ginger Dane headed your way? <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, we've run out of time. Uh, I know, I know. No more filthy jokes. <laughs> now, Linda will be doing a signing, and I would ask you to be compassionate and, uh, and not take up mass of the time, because I think the queue's going to be absolutely huge. And I think a lot of your books, not just the recent books, but I think um, other books are there. And if you... Um, if you would just join me in, um, I just don't want this to end. <laughs> if you would just join me in a massive round of applause. Thank you for listening to HIF Player. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. For more information about our arts charity and upcoming events, please visit harrogateinternationalfestivals.com.